Sure. Y'all excited? You should be. Should be. Uh, if it's your first time here, welcome to Connection Church. Uh, my name is Blake. We exist to connect people uh, to a growing relationship with Jesus. And that's what the 1-8 Project is all about. And so say next Sunday on the count of three, say next Sunday. One, two, three. That's when, that's when the 1-8 Project is. And so the best way, we've always tried to explain 1-8 uh, Sundays as really every week we have people given to the 1-8 Project. And the way to think about it is we're handing the ball off and every week we're running a little bit further, a little bit further to the end zone of our goal of a million dollars. Well, 1-8 Sunday is just a day where we say, you know what, every, every bit of the offering, everything you give, uh, we're taking a step back and actually passing it down the field, trying to move it uh, closer to the end zone. And, and so I just want to encourage you uh, next Sunday, be praying about that. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're a part of the Connection Church, and maybe you hadn't had the opportunity yet to jump on board. Man, I'd tell you this week, pray about that. Uh, see what God would, would do in your heart for next week. Uh, the way I like to look at it is like, man, me and Brandy give to this uh, each week. Not a lot. I'm just being honest. We give what we can. And, uh, but to, to drive by that building one day and say, you know what? I contributed to that. Might be one brick. Might be a screw. You know what I mean? Might be a piece of tile, but I did, some, I, I did, I tried my best, and so, man, just be praying about that. If you got your Bibles, I hope you do. First uh, Corinthians 16 is where we're going to be. We're actually going to start in chapter 15, verse 55. So chapter 15, verse 55, I want to encourage you, get your Bibles out. Get, get a Bible app on your phone, and man, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, and uh, man, this is our last chapter uh, in First Corinthians. We've made it through the whole uh, book of First Corinthians today, and I'm excited about that. I want to pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Y'all pray with me. God, we just love you, and we thank you for our time together, and God, I, I just thank you for the mission, your mission, and God, I pray that well, that would always be our heart, uh, to connect people to a growing relationship with Christ, to, to be disciples that make disciples, and, and as we uh, just dive in your word, I pray that uh, your spirit work in our hearts through your word, and you would stir us up and challenge us and encourage us, uh, and just, just have your way here this morning, and God, we just honor you, and, and we love Jesus. Christ, and we pray, amen. There's a father and a son, they're driving in their car, they're driving down the road, had the window down, and a bumblebee flew into the car, started flying around the car, and his little son was in the back, and he's about five years old, and he starts crying like kids do. He was a little scared because of this bee. About that time, the father grabbed that bee in his hand and held it there for a minute and let it go again. Started flying around the car again, and the little boy started crying again, and then about that time, the father turned around and headed, held his hand out and said, son, you don't have to cry anymore. I took the stinger out. He can taunt you, but he cannot sting you. That's exactly what Jesus has done to death. He's a resurrected Savior. Uh, death, where is your sting? Verse 55, chapter 15, 55. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Praise God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that changes everything. And there's two sisters, Martha and Mary, in the middle of the day, and they were upset because their, uh, their brother had died. Lazarus was in a tomb, and a long story short, Jesus shows up four days later, and, and he says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am that. And this is Lazarus come 
forth, come out, and here he comes. He walks out the grave, and, and don't you know he walked different? Don't you know if that happened, he lived a little bit different, and nothing short of that has happened to you spiritually. Nothing short of that has happened to me spiritually. You put your faith in Jesus, you're resurrected spiritually. You're a, res you're a new creation, and don't you know you have eternal life? And with eternal life, you should have eternal mindset. And when you walk in that spirit, and you walk in that power, you live way different than the world. In other words, he doesn't just give us a resurrected body in the future. He gives you a resurrected life here in the present. Therefore, verse 58, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. You're saved, stand firm. You're a new creation, stand firm. Let nothing move you, but always give yourselves over fully to the work of the Lord, because now you do not labor, your labor is not in vain. Anything that you do for Jesus is not in vain. Nothing. It has eternal weight, so you keep discipling those kids. Serve your church. Lead others. Plant churches. Fight sin. Stand firm in everything and give yourself over to the Lord and what he's doing, and none of it will be in vain. You give a cup of cold water in my name is what he says, and I'll give it back to you. Nothing is wasted, and we need to take some notes this morning from the First Corinthians chapter 16, because in the past, we have learned from some things that they did wrong. But this morning, we will learn a few things that they had right. And I want to talk to you about 10 marks of a community that gives themselves over fully to the Lord and His work. 10 marks of a community that lives in light of the resurrection. And we're going to go through verse by verse and preach it that way. And so mark number one is generosity. They're marked by generosity. Look with me in verses 1 and 2. Now about the collection, Lagoya, Greek word Lagoya, the extra collection, an extra love offering from the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Sacrifice. Go above and beyond. Because the crucifixion comes before the resurrection. And our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem need help. And so we need to take up some money for them. And Paul asked for it. On the first day of every week, more than once every presidential election, every week, we'll take some money up every Sunday because that's the Lord's day. And that's the day that we celebrate a resurrected Savior. And that's what we're here to do today is to celebrate the Lord. Each one of you, everybody, should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. And I love how he says in keeping with your income. I love that. You, you should be good stewards. Your income, because if you're a plant manager at Plant Hatch, you probably would give a little bit more than the kid working part-time at AutoZone, I would hope. But he says your income, and you're a steward of everything God has given you. I want to tell you a little bit, a little secret about everything that we own. None of it's ours. None of it is ours. 10% of what you have doesn't belong to God. 100% of it does. And you're just a steward of what God has already given you. On a count of three, say none. One, two, three. Boom, none. Zero. Boom, that's it. And, and listen, everything we have has been given to us. And Jesus, the great teacher, tells a parable. A man called his servants. 
and entrusted them with his wealth. And he gave one guy 10 bags of gold. Gave one, bag, one guy five bags, one guy two bags, and one guy one bag. And the 10 bag guy brought back 10 more. He brought back 20 bags. Well done, my good and faithful servant. The guy had five bags, brought five more, had 10 bags. Well done, my good and faithful servant. The guy who had two brought back two and had four. Well done, my good and faithful servant. The one who got one, he, did, he brought back one. And he said, I stuck in the ground, I hit it. He said, depart from me, wicked and lazy servant. And so the question for us is, what are you doing with what God has given you? Are we hoarding or are we investing? And he continues in verse two, saving it up. So when I come, no collections will have to be made. And Paul says, listen, be cheerful givers. When I come, I don't wanna have to ask for anything. I want you to give because you love God and because you love people. Grace, not guilt. Compassion, not compulsion. Desire, not duty. Paul wants everybody to be a giver because God was a giver. He so loved the world, he gave his son, he gave his first, and he gave his best. And when we experience the gospel of Jesus, we become like the gospel. And that's the church we want to be. We want to be a church that's open-handed, not close-handed. Every resource that we have or create, we give away for free. You can have it. We give away our resources. We give away our people. Get on out of here. Hey, if you're going on the mission of God or you're going to help another church or go overseas or plant a church or, or live on mission, man, we want to send our best. Get out of here. We want to be uh, generous with our money, generous with our people and resources, everything that we have. And I would challenge us, watch out for all kinds of greed because the opposite of giving is hoarding. And not only did Paul ask, taught on it, Matthew 6, 19, Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And what he's saying is you cannot take a U-Haul behind you when you go, but you can send investments up ahead of you. Invest in eternal things. Well, I love this, my new life verse. Man, this is my life verse right here. One of my new ones. It's, it's Luke 12, 15. Luke 12, 15. Jesus says, watch out. Watch out, be careful, be careful, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed because life consists more than just an abundance of possessions. There's more to life than that. My heart's addicted at wanting stuff and then I get what I want and then I want something else. Anybody else? Man, it's just addicted to like stuff. I just want stuff. And man, it feels good to get stuff, man. feels good. You go shopping, you get new clothes. It feels good. You, you put them on and you're checking yourself out and you just feel like a better person. But you're not a better person. You just bought a new pair of socks. You're still, you're still a wicked sinner apart from Jesus. But it does feel good. Uh, Proverbs even warns about it. Proverbs, I like this. I love Proverbs 23, four through five. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Stop wearing yourself out to get rich. With a glance, it's gone. It, it'll sprout wings and your riches will fly off in the sky like an eagle. Fly like an eagle. Y'all I'm talking about, y'all ever seen that eagle fly? Gone. Like a blue angel just gone. And that's what God said. That's like, all this stuff you want, that's what it's going to do. It's going to sprout wings and fly off. 
is going to fly away, man. It ain't, they don't last, man. He says, listen, invest into the kingdom. And the Bible illustrates it. He says, uh, the kingdom of the heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And a man bought, found this field and found the treasure and buried it, sold all the stuff and invested in that field. And, and that's what Jesus says, man, that's what Jesus is. That's what heaven is like. And, and Peter left his boat. And Zacchaeus, man, he gave his money. The woman at the well left her water jar. Disciples gave their life for Jesus. In 1889, Reverend Edgar J. Helms. Let me tell you about my boy, Edgar. A big Ed. He was a minister in Boston. And, and, and he started seeing immigrants come over. And I don't know if they were illegal, legal, I don't really know. But he started seeing other nations come over here. And he, they could not find jobs. They were trying to, man, he felt bad for these people. And he's a Christian. And, and Christians have always been givers in history. And he starts going around the nice neighborhoods of Boston and starts just knocking on folks' doors. Went over there at Rocky Creek, you know what I mean? Like at my neighborhood, even in my neighborhood, be just knocking on doors and saying, hey, y'all got any extra clothes in here? Got any extra furniture, anything you want to give away? And he would take that and he would sell it. And then he'd take the money and hire these immigrants and hire these people. And man, he was just a giver. And we know that today to be goodwill. It turned into goodwill. And you could just change goodwill to God's will because that is God's will. He wants his people to be givers and to be lovers of other people, to give stuff away, to give their life. And, and Jesus deserves it. Jesus is first. Like he is, firstborn over all creation. And Jesus went first. Like he moved towards you, not you towards him. In your sin, he died for you. He is first, and he went first, and he requires first. Because he can't be first over all creation and not be first in your life. He wants to be first in your marriage, first in your job, first in your bank account, first in everything. Because he does deserve it. And God says, test me in it. I mean, straight up, just I dare you. That's what he says. And it's crazy because all through the Bible, God says, don't test me. Don't test the Lord your God. Don't you test the Lord your God. But then he gets here and he's like, hey, I dare you. I want you to test me a little bit. And man, that's interesting. And the first, first Corinthians applied it. And they were cheerful givers. And man, I can even testify to it. Man, when me and Brandy got, got married, we were filthy rich. I ain't saying she's a gold digger. But man, we were filthy rich. I mean, me and her both, each week, we were bringing home like $500 a week. That's between the both of us. We were loaded, and, and we had two car payments, small house payment, two kids in daycare, health insurance, groceries, Diapers, Brandy's Amazon addiction, all these things. We we were we were like we were split we were splitting Sam's cola and eating Raymond noodles. And that's where we were, and I know what it's like, man. And I remember I remember just being in church and and they start passing him offering buckets. But man, they wouldn't even do it like we do. We just kind of walk up and down. But they, in them traditional churches, you know how they do? They'll send that thing down the aisle. It's got to pass you, bro. It's coming by you. I'd just be like, whoa, not today, because I ain't got it, dog. I ain't got it. I, or, or you just act like you put something in that guy, just boo, just by faith, just pass that thing on by. And I remember, man, I remember being there, because, man, you ain't have nothing. What you want me to give? And, 
But I remember I got saved not too long after I got saved, and I wanted to start honoring God with my money. I, I, man, I wanted to, to, I knew it's not mine, and I do trust him, and he did say test him, and, and that can mean different things, but I remember I had, I'd show up at church like the last $10 I got, and that was my kids' lunch money. And I'd be like, oh, man, I just give it, and here's what I can say. Man, God is faithful, and he's faithful regardless. And I ain't saying he'll bless you like you're just going to get tons of money. I'm not giving to get anything. I give because he's given me everything. But I do give. And, man, what I found is the blessing has actually came in the release. That I just, I'm not tied down by this no more. Like, man, I'm, I'm content. I don't need a Rolls Royce or whatever. I don't need, like, heated seats. I don't, I don't need this. Like, I, the, the joy has actually been coming given, not actually getting. And it's been amazing to see God do that. And my question is, is your mark life by it? Is your, is your life marked by it? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where is your treasure at? Where is your heart at? Your possessions and money and desires are like the MRI of your heart. And you can look through those lens and see where your heart truly is. And if we described you with five words, would gener generous be one of those words? Are you becoming a generous person to become like Christ is to be generous? Mark number two, they made gospel decisions. Look with me in verses three and four. Verses three and four. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters into introduction to the men you approve. And I will send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. And Paul, listen, he, 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 he didn't want to discredit his witness to nobody. He, here's what he says. He says this. He says, we're going to give a gift but you're gonna send your men with this gift, not me. He didn't wanna do anything to discredit his witness. He, didn't, he knew Satan was real, and he didn't wanna be put in his, himself in any way to be tempted or accused of something that he didn't do. And so here's the note, live in such a way that you are not a stepping stone, a, a stumbling block from Jesus, but live in such a way that you're a stepping stone to Jesus. And Paul preached gospel decisions in chapter eight. And he said this, he said, listen, be careful with meat sacrificed to idols because you got other brothers and sisters that this bothers. Put the liquor up if you got to. Put the beer up if you got to. Hey, if you can do it for the glory of God, fine, but be careful around your brothers and sisters. Be careful. Make some gospel decisions because you don't want to be a stumbling block to nobody. And he preached that in chapter 8, and he's practicing this in chapter 16. Because he says, I'm going to take, we're going to raise some money for the Jerusalem church, but I ain't carrying you money. And I don't know if he knew about Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know, I don't know but he said, you're going to raise up some men and women to go with me to carry this money. And here's what I would tell you. He did two things really well. One, he left no room for temptation. And two, he left no room for accusation. And that's why Billy Graham made the rule of, man, the Billy Graham rule, where he don't really hang out with any other women except for his wife, especially alone. And man, I, even last week, man, I had to be careful and make gospel decisions. I had a, a lady who needed help. 
That's a gospel decision because God would want me to help her. And she needed a ride, needed, some, needed a place to stay. And so I had to make a gospel decision. And here's what I said. I said, hold on, let me go find someone else to ride with me because some of these ladies out here lying. Not all of them, but I ain't, you ain't getting me. We're going to help. But I'm about to go get somebody and, and they're going to ride with me. And all I'm saying is you better be careful with your life. Make gospel decisions with your life is the next. Live your life in such a way that it's a secret-free life and make gospel decisions with your life. The next decision I'm about to make, whether it's socially or privately, does it glorify God and can it discredit my witness for him? Be careful with your life. People are watching. Mark number three. They're led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. Spirit led. Verse five and seven. Look with me in verse five and seven. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you. For I will be going through Macedonia. Verse six. Perhaps I'll stay for a little while. Or even spend the winter. That you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make a passing visit. I hope, I desire to spend some time with you. However, if the Lord permits, and Paul says, I don't really know where I'm going or what I'm doing, but whatever I go, wherever I go and whatever I do, it'll be because the Lord permits. I am following him. He is leading me. And listen, it's one thing to be filled with the Spirit. It's another thing to be led by the Spirit. And this is the best way that you can live your life. When did you start thinking your plans were better than God's? Maybe what's hindering God from doing a work in our life is our own stubbornness of having to be in control all the time. What would change in your life if you gave yourself over to whatever he wants, whenever he wants? Besides, he is in control of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalms 8.3, you set the moon and stars in place with your fingers. Psalm 16.11, you make known to me the path to life. Man, his path is better. His plans are better. Even, even Brother James, Jesus' brother, uh, says this. He says in James 4.13 through 15, now listen. Who should say today or tomorrow we will do this or do that or spend a year here or do business or make money? You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, we ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, Lord willing will do this. Lord willing, I'll go here and do that. We do not know what's best for our life. You do not know what's best for your life. Oh my God, I mean, half of, half of us can't make it to Uvalda without using GPS. You would die in Atlanta, Georgia. You take a wrong turn, you get shot. Your life would end. You don't know where to go and what to do. God knows what is best. And besides, didn't he purchase you with his blood? And aren't we a slave to him now? And didn't he seal us with his spirit? Are you even aware of it? And my question is, are you leaving room and space for God to show you where to go and what to do? Are you practicing his presence? Or do we have to be in control all the time? Are we making 
our own plans or are we looking to God to establish our steps? I know for me, when I wake up in the morning, uh, one of the most selfish questions I ask is, what do I have to do today? And I've been trying to change that to, Lord, what we doing today? Where are we going? What are, what are we doing? What do you have for me today? Today's a new day. Your mercies are new every morning. What's today, God? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to? Man, are you practicing that presence in your life? I know uh, I had a pastor uh, before I came to this church, and he, he knew this very well. He practiced this very well, and he'd be supposed to meet me somewhere, and I'd call him, and I'd be like, hey, where are you at? And he'd be like, we on the way. I'd be like, who's we? He'd be like, me and God. That's what it say. But he, he knew that God was with him everywhere he went, and he leaned into God to establish his steps. And I remember when I got saved and we was at a prayer meeting, and I, I just remember... Um, I, I said these words while I was praying. I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and I'll go wherever you want me to go. And, and he pulled me to the side. He said, you better be careful praying prayers like that. And I've tried to live my life this way. Whatever, whenever, wherever. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go, whenever you want me to go there. And I'm telling you, that's a comforting place to live, and that's a scary place to live at the same time. Because when you start praying prayers like that, you better be ready. And I'm telling you, I'm ready. If he wants me to leave, we're going. And if he wants me to stay, we're staying. But I don't want to go anywhere that I ain't supposed to go. And I don't want to stay anywhere that I'm not supposed to stay. And I would challenge you, man, let the Lord establish your steps. Create space in your life to let him show you where to go. And for some of us, man, that's staying right where you are. And for some of us, that might be making a change or a move or doing something, but lean into the Lord. Mark number four, they're mission-driven. Mission-driven, look in verse eight and nine. We're working our way down, verse eight and nine. But Paul says, I'm gonna stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Okay, Paul, well, why are you staying in Ephesus, brother? Why are you staying there? Well, here's why, because in verse nine, a great door of effective work has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. This is why I'm staying. There's a great door of gospel work that's open for me. There's some opposition, but I'm staying because of a great door that's open for me. And here's how he lived his life. And this is why the church of Corinth existed. And this is who he wanted them to be. And this is what he wanted them to do, was be mission-driven. Why? Because Jesus did. And what was Jesus' mission statement? I came to seek and save the lost. And he says, man, that's what we're all to do is to live on mission. And you can't separate spirit-led from mission-driven because the spirit is on the mission field. He's in you, but he drives us to mission. Acts 1-4, after Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, he said, hey, don't go anywhere yet. The Holy Spirit's gonna come. He's gonna give you the power to do what I've called you to do. And what I want you to see is Paul didn't make his plans and then add Jesus to it. Paul allowed Jesus to make his plans. The mission of God is the paper that Paul wrote his plans on. And that's how he lived his life. And here's, here's the tagline, gospel opportunities drove his life decisions. 
Gospel opportunities should drive our life's decisions. I remember before I came into ministry, I met with Billy, and I was trying to have, wrestle with him conversations, just wrestling in my heart. Hey, do I come into the ministry? Do I not? Do I change jobs? Do I not? Do I change churches? Do I not? What do I need to do? And I remember he looked at me and said, where is God gonna use you the most? And then that began to make sense to me that I would go wherever God would use me the most. And once again, for some of us in here, that's to stay where you are. And for some of us, that's to make more money. And for some of us, that's not to chase that job making more money because you know that ain't good for you spiritually. And for some of us, it might be going on the mission field or on missions or into the ministry. That looks different for all of us. But when, when's the last time that you made a serious decision based on gospel opportunities? And not just that, gospel opportunity was worth facing personal opposition. He said, many oppose me. And here's what I would tell you. Where there is great opportunity, there is great opposition. But anything worth something costs something. And the crucifixion came before the resurrection. And the mission isn't optional, it's foundational. Saved people live sent. David Platt says, every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. And every person has a story. And it's not your story, it's his story, but it's ours to steward. And he says, beautiful are the feet that run. And so run at your work, run at your job, run at your house, run at the church, Run on missions, but live your life for the mission of God. Mark number five. They're family focused. Look with me in verse 10 and 12. It's not enough to share our goods. We've got to share our lives. And that's how he lived his life. If there's one, if there's one word that describes Paul, it'd be together. Live on mission together. First Thessalonians 2.8, he says, we cared for you so much that we were delighted not just to share the gospel, but to share our lives as well. It's not enough to tithe. God wants you to share your life. It's not enough to just come to church. God wants you to share your life. It's not enough just to read our Bibles. We're born into a family, and he wants us to do life together. Verse 10, they put the gospel over social status. Watch this in verse 10. When Timothy comes... See that he has nothing to fear while he's with you. He's carrying on the Lord's work just as I am. They didn't even respect Paul's apostleship. Paul's thinking, I ain't no telling what they about to do to Timothy. And you put Paul and Apollos and Timothy in a room. Status-wise, Timothy's at the bottom. He's young. People don't respect him. But man, they put it above social status. And he calls him brother. Watch this. He says in verse 11, no one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that when he returns, because I'm expecting him along with the brothers. And they put family above personal preference. Now about our brother Apollos, verse 12. Well, that name's interesting. I strongly urged him to go with you, with the brothers, but he was quite unwilling to go. But he will when he has the opportunity. Well, remember at the beginning of 1 Corinthians? There was some favoritism going on. I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. He's a better preacher. Well, I follow Peter. Well, I follow Jesus. 
A lot of favoritism. And, and now here he brings his name back up, Apollos, on purpose and calls him brother. Because we're not about competition. We're about community. And we should celebrate other churches and other ministries and what they're doing. This is a family, a, a global family. And that's what he shows us. And listen, they put it over financial gain. They were taking up their money and giving it away for family. They put it over racial ethnicity. This, was, this offering was going to the church in Jerusalem. This is Corinthians, Gentiles, church in Jerusalem, Jews, all nations, different people here. Man, they didn't look like them, didn't really act like them, but it's a different group of people. And that's how we should be because there's one God and one gospel and one church and one spirit and one mission and one Christ. And Jesus died for it. I got sheep from another sheep pen is what he said. I'm dying for everybody. I'm dying for the, I lay my life down for the nations, for the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And then Paul fought for it. He didn't just want to take up a love offering. He wanted to be a love offering. He wanted to be it. He says in verse 7, I don't just want to make a passing visit, man. Man, I want to spend the winter with you. Y'all are family. I want to spend some time with you. The whole book of Corinthians is written about it. Unity. Family focus. Stop being divided over little issues. Be a family. And the early church modeled it. This is why he said, don't eat meat, sacrifice to idols. It's making your brother stumble. It ain't that they're not free to do it. Don't make your brother stumble. Acts 2, 42, the early church had yard sales and paid each other's bills. Had yard sales and put groceries on the table. They're a family doing life together, and we need that. I love in verse 18, you're going to see in a minute, Paul says, they refresh my spirit. And that's why we say real life change happens in community because part of getting where God wants you to be is having others in your life to help you get there. And Paul David Tripp says, the, listen, the Christian life is a community project. And you cannot do life for Jesus and not do life with his people. It's never been that way. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian falls flat at the cross. I'm not into the whole church thing, falls flat at the cross, because Jesus was so into the church thing that he laid down his life for the church. And there's power in community. He says, they refresh my spirit. That word refresh is the same word Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest. Rest, they gave me rest. They, man, these other brothers refreshed my spirit. They helped me. Man, they gave me life. And he calls them out by name. He calls these guys out by name. He said, they refreshed my spirit. If I was writing this letter, I would, I would I'd tell you about a guy named Vance. Meets in my house on Monday nights. I'd tell you about a guy named Carson who sings up here on Sundays. But on Monday nights, he's at my house in my living room. And we do life together, and he refreshes my spirit. I tell you about a guy named JT. I tell you about a guy named Harold, about a guy named Dylan, about a guy named Luke and Jacob and Tyler, who work like dogs all day, just dogs, and just dead tired, and they show up in my house to talk about Jesus. I tell you about a guy named Joseph, who in many constant times of my life has refreshed my spirit. 
But man, you better get some people in your life because we are family. And to receive the grace of God is to be born into the family of God. You don't get a choice. And I would tell you, find a connect group. Be refreshed by other people. Let them speak into your life. Let them encourage you. Let them challenge you. Let them hold you accountable. And then be a refreshment to them. You got some people that pour into your life spiritually, you better thank God for them. Man, be a blessing back to them. But this is family. On account of three, say family. One, two, three. Mark number six. They put on the armor of God. Or you could say they were just bold and courageous. Look in verses 13 and 14. Verses 13 and 14. Be on guard. Look up. Stand firm in the faith. Stand up. Be courageous and be strong. Man up. And that's what it's translated. Act like men. But do everything in love. And here's what I believe he's saying. Reject passivity. We don't have time to be asleep. We need to wake up 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm in the faith. He says, watch out. And spiritual warfare is real. Verse 9, Paul said, I got a great door of opportunity but I got some opposition. Remember, where there's great opportunity, there's great opposition. Listen to me. He says, listen to me. Don't fall asleep. Why is it every time you try to take a next step in the faith, you face more temptations than normal? Why is it right when you're about to get plugged into a connect group, something else happens and you can't go? Hey, man, wait. Why is it when you try to start leading your family spiritually, all of a sudden you got strife in your marriage? All of a sudden, she's more rebellious or he's more passive. Why is that? Why is it every time I go to pray, all of a sudden the phone wants to ring? I was praying this morning at the office. Then all of a sudden, I ain't heard that telephone ring all week. I start praying and it wants to ring. I was about to snatch it out the wall. Why is it when I'm in heart and soul and I have a couple guys come to me afterwards and they wanna, they wanna start talking about their soul and, and giving their life to Jesus and we start leading them to the Lord. Ain't nobody walked in and out that door all day. Now I got about 10 folks walking in. And I, there's nothing wrong with them. I don't know, but I'm just telling you, why is it? Are you aware of it? Are you even aware of it? That there is spiritual warfare in your life. And you need to be ready and put on the armor of God. And he says, listen, stand firm in the faith. Don't be moved by what you trusted in. Don't listen to the experts of your day. They were already trying to reject the, the resurrection. Jesus says it like this, Matthew 7, 24. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them to practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. But if you don't put them into practice, you build your house on sand. Jesus said it like that. A hymn writer says it like this. Jesus is my savior. I shall not be moved. In his love and favor, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree 
planted by the waters, I shall not be moved. And you go to the river, and you get in a boat, and you drive up and down the river, and there's some trees there, and they've been there for a while. Because there's water there, and there's life there, and their root systems run deep. And, and Paul says, root yourself in God's word. Root yourself, run deep. If you want to build a skyscraper, the higher you go, the deeper you drill down. And he says, run deep. Stand firm in the truth. And be bold in the Lord. Act like men. And he's talking to men and women. But I think about Acts 4, 13, when Peter and John proclaimed the gospel to a religious crowd. And in the face of perse persecution, they, they, they stood up and preached the gospel. And this is what the text says. When they saw their courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. But they took note that they'd been with Jesus. And strong men are men who's been with Jesus. And strong women are women who's been with Jesus because strength comes from Jesus. The wrestling coach looks at the wrestler and says, man up. You get out there, you put him on his back, and you pin him. And the football coach says, put your head down and hit somebody. And that's, that's power of the flesh. And we like power of the flesh. I love power of the flesh. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But here he says, this is the power of the spirit. And you man up by being dependent on Jesus. Jesus don't save you in his strength and send you out in yours. But you put on the armor of God and listen, he says, love one another. Do everything in love. It don't matter how gifted or strong you are. He's more interested in who you're becoming than what you're doing. The heart behind why you do what you do. You better love people. You can speak in tongues of angels. You can move mountains with your faith. But if you do not have love, you gain nothing. 1 Corinthians 13. Philippians 1.27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And when I come, I'll see you're firm in one spirit, loving each other in one spirit, together as one for the gospel. Be together for the gospel and love one another. Put on the armor of God. Mark number seven. They serve others around them. Serving. Look with me in verses 15 and 18. You know the household of Stephanus. They were the first converts in Achaia. And that's amazing to me. The very first converts. That's awesome. I wonder who's going to be the first converts for Bo and Lauren or our missionaries that go overseas somewhere. I'll get more personal with you. Maybe you're here and your family's not saved. What if you were the first convert in your family and it changed the direction of your whole entire family? But they were the first converts. And after they got saved, it says they have devoted, addicted. They addicted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. They became believers and then they became servers. Because saved people serve people. Jesus preached it in Mark 10, 43 through 45. The disciples were talking about who's the greatest. And Peter's like, I'm the greatest. And John's like, shut up, Peter, you ain't the greatest, I'm the greatest. And then Jesus looks at him like, y'all need to chill out. Ain't none of y'all the greatest. And he says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you become a server. Great people serve people. And, and he says, even I didn't come to be served, but to serve others. He preached it. 
but Jesus practiced it. Philippians 2, 5 through 7, had the same mindset of Christ. He made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, and Stephanus had the mindset of Jesus. He looked after the interest of others, and we want to be that church. We should embody that spirit. We should embody that same mindset because theology without obedience is useless. It's not just knowing it, it's becoming like Jesus. And Paul pointed to these people as leaders, the ones who served. We need to be these people. And then he says this, I urge you, I beg you, I plead, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people. And to anyone who joins in the work and labors for it. If people love you, if they serve you, they get here, they're trying to serve you and love on you. And man, hands and towels, just washing your feet, trying to serve. You should submit to those type of people. Verse 17, I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Archaeus, or how you say their name, arrived. Because they have supplied what was lacking from you. And they refreshed my spirit. They gave me rest. And yours also, and such men deserve recognition. And they do deserve recognition. And our people here that serve, you deserve recognition. I would tell you, thank you. If you serve in the parking lot, on the blue team, at the coffee table, security team, kids team in back, prayer team, we got Forge guys that come in here every Friday and set up this church just so your kids can come here and learn about Jesus. And we want to say thank you. And man, we need to celebrate those types of people. In Mark number eight, they had godly leadership. Godly leadership, verse 19. Verse 19, the churches in Providence of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, my people, greet you warmly. They greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets in their house. We've seen some ballers this morning. We talked about Timothy, Paul, Apollos, but there's these two people that don't get talked about a lot, Aquila and Priscilla. What's the big deal about them? Well, they were willing vessels, committed to the mission. They put their yes on the table. They were open-handed for God. Here I am, Lord, send me. And they had a missional marriage. They were married. And they're never mentioned without the other one in the Bible. Anytime you hear Aquila, you hear about his girl Priscilla. Every single time. And man, they use their marriage to, on mission for God. And isn't that what the goal is? I wonder what their kids thought about their marriage. I wonder how their marriage impacted the rest of their family. I wonder how far their marriage impacted the kingdom of God. And we know that it did because we're reading it here in the Bible. And they showed hospitality with their life. It was a house church. And they helped plant this one and another one in Rome. They planted two house churches. And they hosted it. They were disciple-making machines. And every church needs Aquilas and Priscillas. Willing vessels, strong leadership, dynamic marriages that don't fight over petty worldly stuff because they're more interested in thinking about kingdom stuff. And when you live on mission together, that's the result that you get. And here is the application. What impact will your leadership leave on the world when you're dead and gone? What impact will your marriage leave on the world when you're gone? Will your church miss you? 
Will your community miss you? Are you invested in leading God's church? What's your next step when it comes to having a kingdom marriage or being a godly leader, someone to look at and say, you know what, they're not perfect, but that's what being a Christian looks like. And I love that person, but they, they love me back. What's your next step in becoming that person? Mark number nine, they love one another in Christ. They love one another in Christ. Verse 20, look in verse 20. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And this is a practice that the Church of America has lost. And we need to start kissing again. I'm just kidding. Better watch out. Better watch out. I'm be kiss my wife. But it reveals their heart. They had genuine love for one another. And this reveals God's heart. There's over like a hundred one another statements in the Bible. Love one another, be with one another, pray with one another, forgive one another, be with one another. And this is our heart. This should be the most welcoming, loving place on planet earth for people to come to on Sundays. And so is this your heart? Paul didn't wanna just take up a love offering. He wanted to be one. Do you love these people? Are you the last here on Sunday and the first to leave on Sunday? Do you like the people that are here? Do you want to be around these people? And here has some final words. Paul's last words. He says in verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Paul said, I'm writing this with my own hand. And a lot of people say Paul had a secretary who would write his letters for him because he had bad eyesight and he had ugly handwriting. And I think Paul is just ugly, period. But it's okay, because God used him. And maybe you're here, and maybe you're ugly. It's okay. There's still hope. God can use you. But he says, I write this with my own hand. This is the same hand that had Stephen killed. This is the same hand that drug Christians out their homes and killed them. You wouldn't want unconverted Saul in your small group. This is the same hand that received the grace of God. And he went from stoning Stephen to writing scripture. And what it means to me is it's less about where you began and it's more about where you end that truly counts. Because he was the chief of sinners, but he was the chief of Pharisees. And ain't nobody in here worse than Paul and ain't nobody in here better than Paul. I don't care what you've done or who you did it with or where you did it. There's hope for you at the cross. And I don't care how good you think you are. That's what's keeping you from coming to Jesus. And you better wake up and realize that you're not good enough to enter the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus Christ came and died for you. So you need to give your life to Jesus. And Mark number 10, the last one, is they love Jesus Christ. They just love Jesus. Listen, in verses 22 through 24, verses 22. Verse 22, if anyone does not love phileo, the Lord, affection for the Lord, brotherly affection, if this doesn't move you, if the gospel doesn't move you, let that person be cursed. Let him be cut off from God. Do you love him? 
not your version of him, do you love him? Because that's all that counts. Because if you love him, you'll do all the rest. Francis Chan, a pastor, he had a teenage daughter and he looked at his teenage daughter. And I remember him telling this story. And he looked at her and said, I don't see the fruit of the spirit in your life. And that's what I care about as a dad. I don't care what my kids say as much. I don't care as much what Brandy says or what my friends say. I care about the fruit that their life produces. Do you really love Jesus? Like, do you love him? That's what matters the most. Brandy loves her kids. It moves her. She has affection for them. She wakes up every morning and eats cereal with Jolie before she goes to work. She loves her kids. There's affection that moves her. Do you have that affection for Jesus? Are you moved? Here's what he says. He says, if not, let yourself be accursed. Why? Dang. Why? Because you are under a curse. You're born into a curse, the curse of Adam. You need to be saved. You'll be cut off from Jesus forever. Can you say, come quickly, Lord. You need to be reconciled to Jesus, redeemed to Jesus. You need the grace of God. Verse 23 says, the grace. On the count of three, say grace. One, two, three. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. You need God's grace. Galatians 3, 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. It's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He hung on a tree. He became a curse so you could be blessed. He took the wrath of God so you could receive grace. That's the gospel. You need Jesus. He's the blood on the doorpost in Exodus. He's the door to Noah's ark in Genesis. He's the snake lifted up in the wilderness. He's the hand that shut the mouths of the lions for Daniel. He's the only way to be saved. And for some of us today, we need to be saved. And in verse 24, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. He says, I love you. And I would just say, church, we love you. I know I speak for Billy when I say, I love you. Thank you for helping us connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And connect group leaders, we love you. Thank you for helping us connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And all the premarital's that we get to do, thank you for entrusting us to help you have a growing relationship with Jesus. And to my wife, thank you for helping me connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And people that come through heart and soul, thank you for helping us connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And connection students, we love you. You need to be connected to a growing relationship with Jesus. And I'm going on beach camp with them starting tomorrow, all week. I got them for a week. I'm bringing two things, Jesus and my paddle. Bring both of them. Man, and, and hey, if I get their parents' permission, I'll call them names out for them. This is for your mama. Kapayow. This is for your daddy. Kapayow. But, but I love them. I love them. I say, church, we, we love you. And he says, in Christ Jesus. And that's the question. Are you in Christ Jesus? 
Are you saved? Have you turned from death to life? Are you resurrected spiritually? Are you walking in the deception of religion or are you walking in the power of the resurrection? It's death or life, it's in or out, it's salvation or damnation. You're either under a curse or you're under grace. And there's two challenges I would give to us. Challenge one to the Christians. The question is, are you living in light of the resurrection? Do you have a resurrected life? The word I feel like God is telling me is fully. Chapter 15, 58, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Fully with your work, fully with your plans, fully with your marriage, fully with your money, fully with your life. And then the second challenge is to the lost. What are you going to do with Jesus? You gotta do something. He's a resurrected savior. Like you gotta do something with him. He's trending number one today. You gotta do something. He's liar or lunatic or Lord, but if he's Lord, you gotta do something with Jesus. And he says, whoever does not leave everything for me cannot be my disciple. And here's what I tell you, man. You look at me. Whatever it is that you're holding on to and it's keeping you from coming to Jesus, let me tell you something. Jesus is better. He's absolutely better. And maybe you say, man, I don't see these marks in my life. Because you gotta be born again. You gotta put your faith in Jesus. And when you trust the full weight of your life in him, you'll be born again and you'll have spiritual birthmarks. And I would tell you, if that's you today, Jesus says, Today's the salvation. Today's the day of salvation. And thus says the Lord, come to me and I'll give you rest. And I would tell you, until you come to Jesus, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And until you come to Jesus, there's no other way to be saved. Let's pray. And maybe you're in here this morning and you say, you know what? Blake, I don't see those marks in my life. Or you say, Blake, I've been playing religion, but I've never really fully surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And today, I wanna draw a line in the sand. And you say, today, I wanna give my life to Jesus. With all eyes closed, will you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? I just wanna pray for you. You can just keep it up while I pray. Thank you. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for the one that's putting her faith in you this morning. Man, that's amazing. <laughs> God, we thank you for how good you are to us. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, help us to be a people that live in the light of the resurrection. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.